It was 703 for invitation. <clears throat> thank you for uh, your presence this morning. I'd like to say thank you for the opportunity that I have to share with you from God's Word. Anytime that I'm presented with that opportunity, it's my prayer, it's my desire that you'll be able to take and find some practical application of the Word of God in your life and that you'll be blessed uh, by the things that I have gained from my study of God's Word. And so uh, invite your attention this morning as we study uh, when we look to God's Word about the work of the church. And I titled the study this morning, The Work is Great. And you could look at that uh, in a couple of different ways. You could talk about the quality of the work. And certainly when it comes to quality, the work of the church is great. It's significant. It's of extreme importance. When it comes to quantity, the work is great. There's much to do. There's, there's a lot of work to do. And sometimes when we look at a task that has so much to be done... We can look at that and, and tend to be discouraged by that and say, what can, what can I do? What, what is it that some, someone so small, so insignificant can do in such a great work? I want to look back in the uh, Old Testament this morning as we base our study out of 1 Chronicles chapter 29. If you want to grab a Bible and turn and follow along, I encourage you to do that. Try to have most of the scriptures up on the screen this morning. And I want to look at an instance where we see uh, this great work presented, and, and that is in the building of the temple. And uh, Solomon's endeavor, David's preparation in doing that. And I want to uh, learn some lessons from that and make application to our work today, to the work of the church today. So in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse number 1, if you'll recall the history, the setting, David is, is nearing the end of his life and he has uh, reigned in Israel. And of the many battles and wars that he's fought, he's begun to have peace and he's begun to evaluate his life. And as many do when they tend to get a little bit older and they look back over the course of their life, they start evaluating that and they start looking at what their priorities were, what's really important. And as David does that, he takes notice of something. He looks at his house and then he looks at the Lord's house, if you will, which was the tabernacle. It was a, a portable structure that they packed up and were able to move when they were a nomadic people uh, that was the center of their worship as the children of Israel. So in 1 Chronicles 29, verse number 1, it says, Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation, Solomon, my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great. For the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God the gold for things to be made of gold, the silver for things of silver, the brass for things of brass, the iron for things of iron, and wood for things of wood, onyx stones and stones to be set, glistering stones and of diverse colors, and all manner of precious stones and marble stones in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of my own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God, over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. And so... We consider this statement that David makes as he's uh, preparing Israel for the transition for Solomon to reign in his stead. So if we back up a few chapters to chapter 17, we see David's evaluation that I referenced a little earlier. He said in 17 verse number 1, Now it came to pass as David sat in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, Lo, I dwell in a house of cedars, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord remaineth under curtains. And so here's this evaluation that David has. He looks at 
his house, a house of cedars. We make our houses out of sticks and bricks, we say, out of two-by-fours, out of lumber and various materials to construct those houses. We call them permanent dwellings. And he recognizes that here he is in this permanent dwelling, this nice structure, no doubt. And he looks over and he sees this tent, this tabernacle, and he says, this isn't right. This isn't how it should be. And so he has in his mind, in his heart, if you will, that he wants to, to remedy this situation. If you've got your Bible open, you might notice verses 2 and 3 there. It says, Then Nathan said to David, Do all that's in your heart, for God is with you. But it happened that night that the word of God came to Nathan, saying, in verse number 4, Go and tell David my servant, Thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not build me a house to dwell in. And I imagine trying to put myself in David's shoes here that this is somewhat of an awkward situation because David says, hey, I've got this idea. I want to build a house for the Lord. I want to build a permanent structure for the Lord to live in. Now, Nathan's a prophet. He's the spokesman for God in Israel. And he hears this idea that the king has, and being an agreeable guy, he says, that's a great idea. You should do everything that's in your heart. I mean, what could be wrong with such a thing? Well, evidently, the Lord had a different idea, a different thought, didn't he? And he comes to Nathan and he tells him, you need to go tell David that he's not going to build me a house. And so I would imagine being in Nathan's situation here, that this is a little bit of an awkward conversation to have because he's got to go back to David after saying, hey, do everything that's in your heart and say, you know what, never mind. Actually, the Lord said, this isn't for you to do. And it's interesting to note that. And sometimes as servants of God, we speak presumptuously, don't we? And if something sounds like a good idea, we might say, well, what could be wrong with that? Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Let's do that. But that wasn't the case. And I think that we learned one of the first lessons we learned in this study is we need to be careful about what we say. We need to be careful about the counsel we give. We need to make sure the counsel that we give comes from God and not from our own heart and our own mind. In 1 Chronicles 17, a few verses later, down in verse number 11, it shall come to pass when thy days be fulfilled or expired that thou must go to be with thy fathers that I will raise up thy seed after thee which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I included these verses in our study this morning to get to the point right off the bat that the church has always been the plan. The Lord's church has always been what it's about. And that's identified here in this prophecy as God is communicating with David, and he's telling him, you're not going to build a house for my name. I'll allow Solomon to build me a house. though it's not something that I ask for. I'll allow Solomon to do this. And then he gives this prophecy, as we'll see. Peter, with, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, refers back to this promise that God makes to David and makes application to the church and, and to Christ. And so we want to notice from the get-go that the church was the plan all along, that the, the, the church that Christ built that he purchased with his blood was always the plan. In 1 Chronicles 22, verse number 7, we see David preparing Solomon. It says, And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house under the name of thy Lord, my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build a house under my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. And so God gives the reasoning. He doesn't just simply deny David. He, he doesn't just tell him no without explaining that. 
But the explanation for why he doesn't allow David to proceed with this is because of the amount of bloodshed that he had uh, done in his life. And so God didn't want this task to be performed by him. I want to notice the leadership of David. And when you study the life of David, you're going to find a lot of things. They're quite obvious. David was not a perfect man. He was not perfect. He was not sinless. David was a great leader and a great king in Israel. David wasn't the best father in the world. When you look back at some of the the family things that he had going on. But the scripture does tell us that he was a man after God's heart. That he had the correct heart set. And yes, he was deceived by sin. Yes, he deceived himself. And yes, he was rebuked. And when he was, when he was reproved and corrected, he humbled himself. And so he went down in the history of Israel as a great king and a great leader of Israel. Though he wasn't perfect. Though he had mistakes in his life. He evaluated the work and he said it's great. And I think when we evaluate the work of the church today, we come to the same conclusion. The same reality is true. Is there's a great work that is before us. The motivation that he had is exactly the same then as it is today and forever will be. That this is not for a man, but for the Lord. When he set this idea forth, this wasn't some expansion for his temple. It wasn't some personal goal that he had. It was something that he wanted to do for the Lord. And when we look at the work of the churches before us, we need to remember and maintain that proper motivation that the things that we're doing are not for selfish gain. They're not for reputation. They're not to promote ourselves in any way or any human being. They're for the Lord. And that's what ought to motivate us. And then we see the dedication that he had, that he prepared with all his might, that he went all in, if you will, uh, on this project, that it wasn't something that he approached half-heartedly. And with that in mind, I want to back up a little bit once again, and I want to get a concept of what King David's view of a sacrifice was because I think we've cheapened the word sacrifice. I think a lot of times we, we say we made a sacrifice and we didn't lose much. In 1 Chronicles 21, verse number 24, David had commissioned an unauthorized census. And that was a big deal. The Lord was upset by that. The Lord reproved him for that. The Lord gave him a choice of punishment for that. And he chose, of the the punishments offered to him, he chose to be at the Lord's mercy and to have the Lord's wrath poured out upon him for his error. And in the midst of that, There was an opportunity, there was a window where he had a chance to make a sacrifice to appease the Lord's anger and to stop this wrath of God that was being poured out on the children of Israel for his mistake. And in doing that, that's what we have here in 1 Chronicles 21, verse number 24. It says, Then King David said to Ornan, No, I will surely buy it for the full price, for I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that which cost me nothing and so when this opportunity presents itself and he needs a place to offer this sacrifice and he needs an animal to sacrifice he has this servant that comes to him and he says you're the king if you need to make a sacrifice to god take it it's yours and he has the heart of a servant but david also has the heart of a servant and he says you know what 
I'm not going to make a sacrifice that doesn't cost me anything. He said, this is my, my fault that this is happening. And the cost should be mine. And he said, I'm going to pay the full price. And so David understood when you make a sacrifice, that means that it costs you something. Sometimes we think if we miss the big game to come to church that we made a sacrifice. That didn't cost you anything. A sacrifice cost something. And David understood that. And we saw that in 1 Chronicles 29, verse number 3. He said, Moreover, because I've set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God, over and above all that I've prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. So what does that mean? It means David was king of Israel. And every command that he gave, when he told servants, you gather up all the gold that you can find. You gather up all the silver that you can find. He had a lot of resources as a king of Israel. But giving those commands out, it didn't cost him anything. But when he went to his own safe, if you will, whatever it was, his own wallet, however you want to think about that, his own savings account, and got his own gold out, and his own silver out, his own treasure, there was his personal wealth, and he put that in the treasury, that was a sacrifice. That's when David personally made a sacrifice for this project. And so I want us to keep that in mind as we go through the study. We think about building for God today and the sacrifices that we make or, or that we're willing to make and not willing to make. In 1 Timothy 3, verse number 15, Apostle Paul said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. See, the house of God is the church of God today. It's not... Some temple that's been built by man, but it's the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 9, the scripture says, For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. You're his field. If God's the farmer, you're his field. If God's a carpenter, you're his building. And so when we think about and we talk about building today and we talk about building a structure and we talk about building the church the church is made up of souls that have been redeemed by the blood of christ he purchased the church with his blood what did he purchase properties buildings no he purchased souls that have been lost and he purchased them with his blood and so when we talk about building we're talking about building a living structure the church adding to the church of the Lord. In Acts chapter 2, verse number 29, as Peter's preaching, he says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. Why is he bringing David up? Because God had made David a promise. We read it earlier. That he's both dead and buried in his tombs with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. And so that promise that he made, that there would be someone to sit on the throne forever, 
You know, David might have thought he was talking about Solomon. He might have not had complete understanding of that at the time. It doesn't seem to me that Solomon had a complete understanding of how far that promise reached. But the Scripture tells us that these things were a mystery. They weren't revealed in these times. We have this privilege that we can see these things revealed and we know that that promise was a promise of Christ and the church was the plan all along. In Ephesians 3, verse number 8, Unto me who am less than all... Excuse me. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Jesus Christ our Lord. And once again we see that the church was the plan all along. That that's what this was about. That was the big picture. Important lessons for us today. The work is still great. The work is greater, we might say, than it was when it came to the building of that structure, of that temple. Because that structure, that temple, wasn't as significant as the Lord's church is. In 1 Chronicles 22, verse number 5, Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. And so I want us to think about these statements that David makes. Before he dies, he says, one, Solomon was young and inexperienced. He recognized that Solomon was going to need assistance. He was going to need help. He was going to need some training. He recognized that this wasn't a common project. This thing had to be exceedingly magnificent. Why? Because it was for the Lord. And he says, I'll now make preparation. And I want us to think about David had this goal, this desire to do this, and God says, that's not for you to do. That's not the work that I have for you to do. You know, there's a lot of ways he could have reacted to that. He could have said, fine, and he could have gone on his way, taken his toys and gone home, if you will. But that's not what he did. He did what he could do then. He wasn't permitted to build the temple so he did every single thing that he could do to make preparation for it, to make that actual building easier. So we need to learn to do what we can now. If you look at 1 Kings chapter 5, if you're taking some notes, 1 Kings 5, 2 through 6, we see um, in this story, as you're reading this, we see that Solomon, uh, that David is given some help. He's given some uh, counsel, if you will, by, by David. He's encouraged by David. David even tells him, he says, I've piled all this stuff up, get to work. And he's trying to get him the ball rolling, if you will, and get those things initiated while he's still alive and let Solomon do the work that, that God had given Solomon to do. And Solomon, if you remember, he prayed from wisdom, uh, for wisdom from God, and he took some of those alliances that David had. And one of the things that he did, he went out and contracted skilled labor to do all these different tasks in the building. 
And he found the best that there were that people knew of to do these specific tasks. And one of the other things that he did, another layer of wisdom that he had in that, was that he told those, he said it was the Zidonians, if I'm recalling correctly, uh, they, they were famous for how skillful they were in cutting timber, being lumberjacks. They were the best lumberjacks that there were. And he said, I want those workers, and I want to take my workers and put them with those workers so we can have the wood that we need. But not only would they have the supplies that they needed in lumber, he was also developing a skilled workforce. And he was training individuals as that project was unfolding. And he was accomplishing two tasks at once, if you will, and he was broadening his workforce and the, the skill set that he has. And when we think about the task that we have to do, I know that one of the challenges that I've had in my life is putting enough emphasis and enough time and energy into that training, that little step. Because sometimes it's so much easier just to go out and do the task and complete it than it is to bring someone else along and train them how to do that work. But if that, that little step there is skipped, then you have a problem in the next generation. And the individuals that were doing that work and going out to, about to accomplish it, their life's going to come to an end just like David's did, and they're going to be gone. And then who's going to do the work? Who knows how to do the work? Who has the experience? So that training is an important part of the process that can't be skipped. It can't be overlooked. It can't be undervalued. And we have to remember that. In 1 Chronicles 29.2, he says, I have prepared with all of my might for the house of my God, the gold for things to be made of gold, the silver for things of silver, etc., etc. The point that we want to make from this passage is there is a place for everybody in the church. There was a need for every one of those type of materials. You might look at that list and you might say, well, gold's valuable and silver's valuable. And if we have those things, we can buy everything else. But they needed rocks. They needed iron. And you see that iron being used to, to form nails to hold the gates of that temple together. And then those, those wooden gates were overlaid with gold. And so all of those materials were needed. And in the work of the church today, there's a place for everyone. I'm fairly particular about the way that I work and like to work. My dad was a mechanic, and so when it comes to work that involves tools, I have a very organized tool bag, and I don't like for people to mess that up. I don't like for somebody to reach in my tool bag and grab one of my tools and put it back in the wrong place because then I go to look for it and I can't find it. I have one guy that I recall working with that I, I would describe him briefly as a bull in a china cabinet. He just makes a wreck everywhere he goes. But I'll tell you something else. He gets a lot of work done. He gets a lot of work done. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 4. The wise man said, Where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increase is by the strength of the ox. And sometimes we're too focused on having everything neat and in order. And nobody messing up our system. And we don't get as much work done as we could because we're more concerned about the stall being clean than the increase that can come with the strength of the ox. What's the point of a stall if there's not an ox in it? I realize we've gone to the horsepower system. We kind of measure things by horsepower. But 
ox power was pretty significant back in this. That's how they measured that workability and that strength. They realized that two ox power was a lot better than one manpower when it comes to plowing a field. And there was a lot of work that can be done. Is there going to be a mess in the stall? Yes. Is that going to create some work that somebody's going to have to clean up? Yes. But there's going to be a lot of work that can get done by the strength of that ox. And sometimes we look at that and we go, well, we don't want somebody to come in and make a mess. And we need to realize there's a place for everybody. We need to learn to see the value and the potential of everyone in the Lord's church. Ephesians 4, verse number 14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they, they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, make of increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So I want to focus on that last little phrase, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. What does that mean? That's talking about the church growing. The church is the body. The body is the church. Increase is growth. Edifying is building. How does the church grow? How does it build up? What does he say right before that? Effectual working by every part. Not only is there a place for all of those different materials, not only is there a place for everyone in the Lord's church, there's a work for them to do in the Lord's church. And so, yes, there's a place of belonging, but yes, there's a job to do. Which job are you doing in the Lord's church? It's a great work. What task are you picking up and advancing the Lord's church with? The work's for God. And David said, because it's for God, it has to be exceedingly magnificent. We cannot look at this like it's some common project. That's very important for us to remind ourselves of when it comes to church work. What kind of priority does it have on our list? Well, we've got this gospel meeting coming up this summer. Well, yeah, but that week is, you know, that's the week that I, I get groceries that week, and that's, that's the... I've got to get my yard trimmed and mowed and the house needs painted and if you just do two coats then you'll have to paint it again in, in, in a couple years. You, and you and I both know you're going to have to paint it again in a few years no matter how many coats you put on it. And a lot of times we don't prioritize correctly because we forget this simple clause right here. This work is for God. The prophet Malachi in 1, verse number 14, he said, But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord that which is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And so here's this individual. They're taking this crippled, this lame animal for sacrifice. And they're saying, oh, I've, Lord, Here, Lord, I've made a great sacrifice. And no, they haven't. They've taken disease out of their herd. If you, if you raise livestock, you understand that if you take the very best animal you have and you kill it, by traditional logic and wisdom, that doesn't help you as a rancher. It costs you something. That's a sacrifice. On the other hand, if you take the weak and the crippled and the lame, 
By traditional wisdom and logic, you're doing yourself a favor. God, through the prophet, said, Cursed be the deceiver. Who do you think this person's deceiving when they bring this lame sacrifice before God? The answer is quite simple. They're deceiving themselves. Because God's not mocked. God's not deceived. And we can't be deceived either. In Galatians 6, verse number 7, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Don't deceive yourself and tell yourself that you're making a sacrifice for the Lord when you have sacrificed nothing. Because God's not mocked. He's not being deceived. You've deceived yourself. And you might be able to deceive me and everyone else, but you won't deceive God. He's not going to be mocked. And so we have to consider the sacrifices that we're making or not making and not permit ourselves to be deceived and certainly not deceive ourselves. What's in your heart? David said, moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God. And I want to notice the wording of that. He said, I set my affection to the house of my God. We find a similar passage in Colossians 3, verse number 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Set your affection on things above. When I see that word set, it, it reminds me of the frozen pizza instructions. Those times that I come home and it's just me and it, I've got to make dinner, I go to the freezer and I get that frozen disc out and I have to read the instructions because that's how good of a cook I am. And it says set the oven to 450 degrees. Well, the oven's at zero degrees and it has to go from zero degrees to 475 degrees or whatever it is. And you've got to take it from one place to the next. And when he says set your affection on things above, then we realize our natural inclination is to love the things of this world. And that's where our affections are going to be if we don't take them and move them somewhere else. And that's what we're instructed to do is move those affections, move those desires that we have for eternal things, things that are above and not on things of this earth. And he lists those things and we go, well, those will, those will are terrible things. And yes, we need to turn our desires away from those things and we need to put them on heavenly things. But it doesn't end there. Matthew 10, 37, Jesus said, He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. It's not just the bad things, the evil things. There's nothing wrong with family. Family's not a bad thing. But God has to be first priority. God has to be first priority. What's in your heart? Where are your affections at today? The lessons that I think it's very important for us to learn from this study, do not follow your heart. You'll hear that time and time again in this world that we live in. You just need to follow your heart. 
You need to chase your dream. You can do anything you set your mind to. That's great if you're selling inspirational quote books. But that's not what you find in the Bible. God doesn't tell us to follow our hearts. He tells us that our hearts are deceitful. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse number 9. And desperately wicked, he says. The psalmist in Psalms 119 and 36 said, Incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. That's where your heart's going to be. And if you follow your heart, you're going to follow your own selfish lust and desires. You're going to have to set your affections. You're going to have to incline your heart to God's testimony and His will if you're going to please Him. Don't follow your heart. Lead your heart to God's Word to where your affections are where they need to be and not where they shouldn't be. Don't end up like Nathan and have to go back and eat crow because you gave somebody terrible advice. So yeah, do what's in your heart. Follow your heart. That sounds like a good idea. Consult God and His Word. With all of our might, the level of dedication that we show is important. Colossians 3.23, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. And remember as you're doing this work that you're not doing it for someone to pat you on the back. You're not doing it to tell someone how important and how significant you are. You're not doing it to be recognized. You're doing it to serve the Lord. And He's the one that's going to give you your reward. If you're looking for praise, if you're looking for recognition, if you're looking for honor that comes from men, then you're looking for all of the wrong things. Just look to give your all for the Lord and His cause. What if you wouldn't live to see it finished? You know, that was the case with David. He, he understood something as he approached the end of his life that he wasn't going to see this through. But it didn't stop him. In John four thirty seven, and herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereupon you bestowed no labor, other men labored and ye entered into their labors. What work will you leave for the next generation? What work will you leave for the next generation? Is there going to be a gap in the, in the planting and the watering and the harvesting and the preparation cycle because you didn't do your task? You didn't do your work. First Chronicles 29 and 28 Speaking of David, and he died in a good old age full of days, riches, and honor, and Solomon his son reigned in his stead. David passed away and didn't get to see the end of the project. But he did everything he could to make it happen while he was still here. Would we be too selfish? This morning, you're part of the problem or part of the solution. I realize that may seem oversimplified, but that's the reality of the situation when it comes to the church growing. You're part of the problem or part of the solution. In 1 Chronicles 29, 6, Then the chief of the fathers and princes of the tribes of Israel and the captains of thousands and of hundreds with the rulers of the king's work offered willingly. David's example mattered. And when all these sub-level commanders saw what he did, they followed suit. And he didn't compel them to give. He could have, as king, he could have sent that order out. But what he did was he led by example. 
and he made the sacrifice that personally cost him. And when others saw that kind of leadership, they made the sacrifices that personally cost them. Your example matters. And it can be an example for good, and it can be an example for the worst. This morning, we need to do the training. We don't need to skip that step. We need to remember that the work of the church is not a common project, and it needs to have priority over the trivial things of this life. We need to do what we can now. Take action. Don't say, you know, we should really go visit that, someone's, that person sometime. Go visit them now. Don't say, hey, we've got a meeting coming up. I'll go have that conversation. Have that conversation now. Do what you can now for the work of the church. There's a place for everybody. There's a work for everybody. Don't be deceived. Don't offer less than your best and think that you're going to fool the Lord. Don't follow your heart. Lead it to God's Word. Don't be selfish and remember that your influence matters. Your example matters. No matter how young or how old that you are, it matters. And as we wrap up, I want to, to conclude with where we need to lead our heart. And I think we see that in the heart set that David has as he concludes his thoughts. He says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thy hand is power and might, and in thy hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise <coughs> pardon me, thy glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own hand have we given thee. For we are strangers before thee and sojourners as were all of our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow and there is none abiding. O Lord our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee a house for thy holy name cometh of thine hand and all is thine own. So as David concludes and he's made this massive stockpile of resources for this temple, there's no pat on the back. There's no self-glorification. There's just humility and service to God and recognition of truth that everything that they did, that everything that they gave God was already His. And so he concludes with that humility. I want to turn over, if you've got a Bible, to 2 Chronicles chapter 6. In 2 Chronicles chapter 6, about verse number 12, Solomon is praying and he's dedicating this temple. He's completed this building project. And as he's completed that, he recognizes something very similar. He has some comments very similar to the comments that David made in his preparation. And I just want to read verse number 18 this morning. He says, Will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. Solomon in building this, he understood that he wasn't literally building a house for God to live in. He understood that this structure was about something bigger than that. It was about something different than a physical structure for God to live in because there's no physical structure that could be built on this earth that could contain the Lord. And Solomon in his wisdom, he understood that about God. Listen to what he says. Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you, that your eyes may be open toward this temple day and night, 
toward the palace where you said you would put your name, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place. And may, your ear, may you hear the supplications of your servant and your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. If you keep reading, you'll notice that that's the theme of Solomon's dedication. It's the theme of his request from God. That this building, it's, it's, his main desire, his main goal is not for everybody in the world to, to praise him and talk about what a great thing he had done. It was about a place of intercession, a place where reconciliation between man and God could happen by way of forgiveness. He said, when you hear, forgive. It's about forgiveness. The work of the church, it's not about buildings and properties. It's about forgiveness. It's about people who are lost being reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that was Solomon's desire for that temple. It was centered around reconciliation between man and God. And the work of the church is centered around reconciliation between sinners and God. And we need to remember that. And that needs to be our understanding as we prioritize and look ahead and we realize how great the work of the church is. The lesson yours this morning. We never like to close a service without extending an invitation. It's not our invitation. The Lord has a, an open invitation that, that we can come to Him at any time. If you've been taught the gospel and you need to obey the gospel and you haven't done that, this congregation stands ready to assist you in your obedience to the gospel of Christ and baptism. If you've done that and you have need of the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ for whatever reason, we invite one of either case to come and have a seat on one of these front pews and let that be known as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.